0: We feel paralyzed by fear and body hatred. To take charge of whom you really are, and to live the life you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Laura Redmond.
1: Welcome back to Feel Good Naked Radio. I am your host, Laura Redmond, and I'm very excited about today's show. It's it's a music show. It's about the music industry. It's about being a female in the music industry. And it's about being deeply touched by the sound of someone's voice when they're singing. I, um, I don't know the music of Elliot Smith until now. This woman is who brought me down the road to his music, even though I know many people admire him and think of him as one of the great songwriters um, who sadly left the planet when he was only 34. But I live in Portland, Oregon, and this woman was singing at a dance performance where I also teach movement. And it was this beautiful performance that I was so excited to be a part of and to watch and to see. And the moment she started singing, I felt it through my whole body. It's the, the feeling of being so touched, but also being so awakened by feelings. And I think in this world today, we don't feel nearly enough. We are living in such a linear state without feeling. And this woman's voice really awakened a feeling in me that was almost what I used to feel when I was in my teens listening to albums and that awakening that happens through music and, and the great guide of, of sound. I tracked her down. I'm so lucky to have her today. Um, her name is Catherine Feeney, and Catherine also lives in Portland, Oregon, although she grew up in Norristown, Pennsylvania, studied in Washington, D.C., relocated to Los Angeles at one point in her career where she started to seriously write her own songs. Her first album was called Catherine Feeney, and it was produced by fellow singer-songwriter Joe Purdy and was released in the UK in January of 2003. Shortly after that, she met producer Sebastian Rogers, who then produced her second album called Hurricane Glass, which was released in the UK in 2006. It includes the single Mr. Blue, which is featured in the films Running With Scissors and Misconception. She lived in Norwich for several years before moving in 2008 to Oregon, where she then released her third album entitled People in the Hole. The title track and the only single from that album was featured in the U.S. television series Mercy and One Tree Hill. After moving to Oregon, Feeney and producer Sebastian Rogers married and formed the band Come Gather Round Us with John Newfeld, Mike Danner, and they released two folk albums, Remember Where You Are and Despair. And there's a lot more to say, but I want to get the introduction over with so I can just say <laughs> hi Catherine.
2: Hi Laura. <laughs> that was kind of fun hearing all that. I didn't expect that. <laughs> yeah. On memory lane.
1: <laughs> well it's so interesting because this whole show is about people that inspire me and what I'm often excited by is what happened to me listening to you sing and then having this great honor to talk to you and to know you better on the air live so other people can find out about you and and that is just my way of staying embodied is staying alive and feeling where there is inspiration and stimulation and your voice just touches me so deeply. I could cry. Like I, I love, I love the way you sound. So I know you've got a little bit of a sore throat today. You've got three children that you're raising and managing, and that can take a toll even without (laughs) a sore throat. And, Thank you for making this time happen today. So I, I just want to open and start by saying, tell us all a little bit about your journey to becoming this incredible singer-songwriter and where you are today with the process of creativity.
2: Huh. Well, that's a big question. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, I, I sang from a really young age and maybe started writing songs a couple years after that. I had a really supportive family who loved hearing me play and were always very positive. I also had an uncle who was a singer-songwriter and he would always play at family parties and that made music feel really immediate to me. Um, And it was always my favorite part of the party. (laughs) So let's see, where I am with creativity. A few months ago, we took the step of entering into foster care, my partner and I, Sebastian. And so since then I've had less time to write and do things like that. Obviously living each day is a creative process and making those kinds of big life choices are hugely creative. Um, I haven't written any songs lately. I've actually been working on a screenplay that's kind of based around some life experiences that Sebastian and I shared.
1: And those life experiences were prior to getting your three children or yeah, after
2: prior to, yeah, I think I'm going to wait to write the screenplay about the kids. <laughs> yeah. Give it a few years. Um, Can
1: Can you share a little bit about the motivation for the screenplay without giving too much away? Like what, what is the heart of the story? Well,
2: Sebastian and I, a number of years ago, I guess it was 2000, I guess it was 2008. Right. When we moved to Portland, we did a tour of the United States that was two and a half months long where we were playing probably five or six nights a week in people's homes. And so we met, A tremendous amount of people, um, incredibly interesting people, incredibly generous people, very interesting individuals, many different sort of life paths. Um, And I just thought, I, I was always feeling these impulses to write screenplays, but many of the ideas that I had were very foreign to me and would require a lot of research. I'm not a super disciplined person, so that kept me from doing the writing and so when i when i i actually started watching a um, a screenwriting started doing an online sc- screenwriting workshop and the first lesson just flashed this idea in my head that oh wait i've had a life experience that i think would make a really interesting film and so i should i should start with that and maybe i could get to those um, more foreign subject matters later after i have some experience
1: when you guys would go into the homes to perform how did people learn about you and bring you there what what was the the link to getting that awesome opportunity to have Mm -hmm. you come into the home and sing
2: back then a lot of it happened via myspace
1: oh okay
2: (laughs) so um people would write to us on MySpace and if they were near somewhere that we were going, we would say, Hey, thanks for writing. Do you want us to play in your house? It was pretty basic. Like it was pretty, you know, just out there on a limb. Um, and then a lot of it happened like via word of mouth. If we were playing at someone's house and we said, Hey, we're looking to play a show in Phoenix. If anybody knows anyone in Phoenix, you know, please come talk to us. So it was very, very informal, very organic
1: And then when did you land back in Portland? Was that a road life that kept you guys out on the road for a while, or was that coming back and forth into Portland while you were out doing the gigs in the houses?
2: So we we did one tour that was two and a half months long, and that was pretty exhausting, and it was a little too long. There wasn't enough downtime, and, you know, being in people's spaces was magical, but it was also meant – continual social time and and I needed I'm an introvert and I needed more time to recharge so after that we would plan tours that were shorter you know sometimes they'd only be a week we would do the west coast in a week sometimes they'd be a month we went to Europe a few times and those would be two weeks or so and the, the ones in Europe were usually a mix of venues and homes
1: And then when did you become pulled to Elliot Smith's work? What what was the genesis of getting into his music and performing it?
2: Well, actually, it was Galen Clark, who was the musical director of that show that you saw, The Burn It Backwards at Body Box. He contacted me and, and said that he was looking for a singer and a guitar player for this project he was working on. And I was familiar sort of tangentially with Elliot Smith's music, had listened to it a bit when I was younger, but had never gotten really into it. And so I thought, oh, that sounds like a fun challenge. Now, when I agreed to do the job, I didn't realize quite what a challenge it would be. I didn't know just how complex Elliot's songs were quarterly. Um so I did a, i had to do a lot of rehearsal because my my songs tend to be pretty simple. So it was a really steep learning curve, and but also a very expanding experience. And really, really cool to become so intimate with this catalog that was previously basically unknown to me.
1: And did you feel a connection with Portland being where he was based for so much of his time? I did,
2: you know, I I, I don't know all that much about his life. I mean, I guess being a songwriter, I know more than maybe the average person. Um, just because I ha- I know people who were signed to his label and things like that and knew his A&R person. Um, so it's not like I'm driving down Alberta and thinking like, oh, that's where Elliot hung out. But I mean, there's like a, there's like um, a heaviness to the weather and the atmosphere in Portland in the wintertime. And that's when I was rehearsing the music. So it definitely felt like Oh, I can I can see where some of this sort of sadness came from. Obviously, it came from other places as well. But Portland is a place that is really lends itself to kind of holding up and writing and finding that darker side of your psyche.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really is interesting, that part of Portland. I'm doing a workshop in June that's called Unbecoming, and it's about Mm -hmm. guiding people into this notion of moving towards the pain that they are avoiding in Mm -hmm. order to release it and let go of it. And as I started to conceive of this workshop is when I was sitting in that beautiful space at BodyVox, and there you were, and I heard your voice, and I thought, this is the feeling of unbecoming and opening Mm -hmm. up space for what is meant to be gestated and brought to the forefront. And Mm -hmm. there is this sort of thickness in Portland where, and then I, so because of you, I did, I went into the whole Elliott Smith world. I didn't have any pull to his music prior to this show you did. And then I became very moved by that thick kind of, sadness that you mentioned that is very reflective in the weather, but also the beauty of allowing the sadness, because often what I find, and and I'm curious about this as a singer songwriter is that where we can go with music is often the places we try to avoid because Mm -hmm. they're just, they're too sad or too deep or too heartbreaking. I mean, and that's really what we want to move towards in order to be authentically embodied and able to live a more joyful life by allowing the places for the pain, the heartbreak, the sure. sadness, you know? Definitely. So, when you're writing, what what would you say about the pain, the sadness, the heartbreak? Like, where does that go when you're writing songs? It feels to me like it's what you kind of hope for with a great song, but <laughs> what, what goes down for you in that part of the writing process and then the performing process? Well,
2: I'd say writing different songs is, is different. And, you know, each process, each songwriting process is unique, but (laughs) I usually am crying when I'm writing, (laughs) even if it's not a sad song um, because you are just sort of accessing this layer of yourself that, you probably don't get to in sort of everyday interactions and, you know, the mechanics of day-to-day life. And for me, songwriting is almost like um, a form of prayer. And it's like, it's like a, a communication with the divine and, and, It's allowing, you know, I know many writers feel this way, and I do as well, that that I'm channeling something um, when it's going well.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, growing up around music, you made an important connection as a young person. Right. And then feeling the power of the song and the music around you and being influenced by that. And I loved when you said that was your favorite part of the party. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe that is also a gateway that was to the sensitive soul that we all possess, but is often shut down without the arts or the creativity or the song. Definitely.
2: I mean, as I said, being an introvert, uh, and I don't know where you lie on on the extrovert introvert spectrum, but there's a lot of um, conversation and connecting with people that feels awkward and is is not easy. It's not easy to reveal yourself personally. But somehow, songwriting allows a safe space for me to do that. And I think yeah. a lot of songwriters
1: feel that way. Yeah, that, that would make sense. Yeah. It's interesting, because I was looking at your inspiration when I was reading about your world and your life. And there's a Something on the web I found about you was saying that you're, you've are you been influenced by Joni Mitchell, the Smiths, Annie DeFranco, P.J. Harvey, the Cure, and Sinead O'Connor. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was such a great list of revolutionaries. I mean, I, I think what, what is happening in the world currently, there's so much to be said about it in a uh, progressive, aggressive manner. Mm. Um, and being an introvert... And having that softness and that quietitude, there's a real place that music has in the world now that I think opens up conversation that might not be as readable. You can't have some of these conversations right now with everybody going into full extrovert and upset. Mm. And mm-hmm. I think the reflection, when I when I was reading more about your inspiration it was interesting because none of those people that you refer to ever played it safe. You know, they were, they were the archetypes going out there and trying to do things without having it be regulated or controlled. Um, but talk to me a little bit and and the listeners about that list of influences for you and and what that what that means when you cite those people as those that have been your guides creatively or otherwise. Hmm. Well,
2: many of those artists are artists that I connected with in my teens and early 20s when I feel like people often, that's when they connect with music most passionately because you're, you have all these hormones in your body and you, you're having this transition between sort of childhood and adulthood and all of the emotional upheaval that comes with that. Makes for this amazing opportunity to really connect with the world and connect with art, and to find your voice. And sometimes, you you find your voice a little bit by listening to other people's voices. and 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 I feel like all of those writers and all of those artists are really authentic, um, and never never tried to, to be what they were not and never um, tried to live into a role that, that the culture was asking of them. They just presented themselves as they were. And I think they provided such amazing role models for artists in that way.
1: Yeah, and I think when you were saying about the exhaustion of social, the introvert, um, there's something about when someone is real, and they show you who they are, even if it's not pretty or popular, it's so much more relaxing, and it's so much more comfortable. Yeah. that's what I hope to guide some people towards in this workshop because so many people are terrified to stand in their presence with whomever they are, yeah. And and that's the great hope as women. And I think that's really my plight is to just help people be who they are, no matter mm-hmm. what that is.
2: Totally, yeah. I, I'm a I'm a person who, you know, through many channels, got the information that. I had to act like everything was cool all the time. And that's a really heavy burden, especially in a climate that we're, a political climate like we're now living through. And, you know, at a certain point, probably it wasn't until maybe my late 20s or my 30s when I started to realize with the help of my partner and other wonderful people around me that just telling people how you were really doing lots of times opened the door for them to tell you how they were really doing and that it was so much less exhausting, to be honest, than it was to have a front up. And, you know, sometimes it takes a while to even know that you have a front up. Sometimes you need people to point it out to you. But um, it's a really helpful thing when they do. You know, it might be, it might be painful at first, but um, ultimately if you're not being authentic to who you are, you're putting an act on all the time and that takes a huge amount of energy.
1: Yeah, I'll say. Now, Sebastian is your husband and Mm -hmm. you all work together and now Mm -hmm. you've got this family with three children. Mm -hmm. What is it like to combine the personal with the professional?
2: It's challenging and rewarding and we're both very... We can be very combative. Um, when we first started working together and we worked together before we came, for a long time before we became romantically involved, we we fought a lot and we had a lot of arguments about artistic direction and instrumentation and just lots of almost everything you can fight about <laughs> artistically, we fought about it. Um, but I think... As, as much as I, I'm really happy that we don't fight as much now and that we don't disagree as much now, um, that created an amazing space for us to be really honest with each other. And I think that honesty is the basis of any successful and happy and rewarding relationship. And we're really lucky to have found that opportunity in each other.
1: Yeah, and sometimes you can't get there unless you fight like hell. Totally. You know, like, allow each other to get that shadow out and talk about it without the prohibitive idea of we're fighting, we're screaming. Yeah, and that's what it takes sometimes to move energy. Yeah. Are you up for a song? Would you be willing to sing something? Is your throat going to allow that?
2: Yeah, it seems like the the most – the most dangerous thing right now, or the most uh, likely thing to happen is a sneeze rather than my throat, but um, I'll, I'll give it a try and see how it goes. Thank you. Um, this is a song from an album that I made with a jazz drummer a few years back. Um, his name is Chris Genitis, and we have an album together called Catherine Feeney and Chris Genitis, where we play a lot with polyrhythms. This is a song called I Don't Know If I Am, and many of the lyrics come from a poem that was written, um, not by me, by a young woman in a writing workshop. Um, there's an organization called Write Around Portland and they do writing workshops in non-traditional spaces like, um, detention centers and prisons. And I saw this poem and was so inspired. And, um, so I'm very grateful for the gift of these lyrics. It goes like this.
3: They say I'm funny, alive and white They say I bring everyone that I meet a big smile. Oh, they also say I make bad choices. I listen to the foolish voices. I don't know why I ran, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I am, I don't know if I am, they say I'm cute, kind on the eye. What they don't know is I don't love myself so in the night I cry. They say I'm smart They say I'm fun if I'm so smart tell me why did I why did I steal that gun? Oh they also say I make bad choices I listen to the foolish voices, I don't know why I ran, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I am, I don't know if I am, they say I'm fun, I thought that it would be too, When in reality, it was the dumbest that I could do. Say I'm a good girl, God give life in a bad and bad world.
1: Thank you. Oh, man, that's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. That is incredible, those words and your voice combined. That is beautiful stuff. Thanks so much. Did you get to meet the poet who wrote that?
2: I didn't know. I tried hard to track her down, um, but the organization had lost lost touch with her, and I wasn't able to meet her.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it really is poetry and music that is almost for me the gateway to the soul. Like mm. it's what I was trying to verbalize in the very beginning, which is that there is a an opening that I feel when you sing that is impossible for me to access other than through sound of beautiful singing voices or poetry, when yeah. I read it, it's the same feeling. And so the combo of those words with the sound is something else that's beautiful.
2: Oh, yeah. And, and I feel the same way hearing others sing. And even I sing in a choir at my church, and that's like a, a really joyful uplifting experience i'd recommend to anyone who's looking to have a little more joy in their lives if you have the right choir director <laughs> uh,
1: what church do you sing with
2: um i sing in a gospel choir at a church called Amago Day community
1: yeah oh i've heard about that i think laronda Steele. is she part of that group no she does the interfaith um
2: choir of portland i think that's what it's called she's amazing but, yeah. but no, she's not involved
1: with our choir. I've heard about Imago from someone. So okay. that's, that's something I will definitely participate in listening and coming to see you. Um, oh. I want to know how being a, a singer-songwriter has influenced your role as a mother. Mm. Hm.
2: Gosh. I mean... You know, I think that I came to a lot of self-knowledge and self-understanding through the exploration that is in songwriting. And I also had a lot of years to really fully, in certain ways, pursue my own personhood so that when I'm coming to being a mother, I can feel, you know, sometimes moms can feel like, gosh, I get no me time. I um, I don't even, I don't have time to do anything that I enjoy. And I feel like I've had so many years doing only what I enjoy that it's a little easier for me to relinquish that for a time.
1: That's a great point. I never thought about that because yeah. you, you have your children, they all came at once. And mm-hmm. so Prior to that, you were able to put your time and focus into your career and your livelihood. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's the best formula because then you're not spending the motherhood time going, I want to find my calling. I want to yeah, find I my I role. Something
2: else, yeah.
1: But in a poetic sense, I would think that the singer-songwriter role that you play in your, in your life I would think that does have an effect on how you are as a mother and how you understand things as a mother.
2: You know, it's hard to say because I've never been anything else. So if I've only been wearing these glasses, it's hard for me to say how it's different than it would be were I wearing another pair of glasses.
1: Can you tell the listeners about the three children that you adopted, and then also maybe give the listeners an insight into being a foster parent—what, what the value and possibilities are with that sort of willingness? Mm.
2: Well, we are fostering three children. We ha- we have not adopted them. Fostering is a very open-ended. Generally, it's a very open-ended process. And when you enter into a fostering relationship with kids, many times it's unclear how long it will last. You know, sometimes it's because a parent is in treatment or in prison. In our case, our kid's mother passed away. So, but they also have some relatives who are in the picture. So while we're hoping for a long-term relationship, it's far from certain how long the relationship will be. Um, I'm sorry. What was the rest of your question?
1: Well, I'm just, I'm curious with when someone opens their heart up to fostering children or adopting them. Yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit more about what that was like for you. And then the experience of, of living that out actually right now in Mm -hmm. a foster role with three children. Yeah.
2: Well, we're really lucky in that again we had many years we thought about fostering for a long time before we did it and we had a lot of preparation our church again is a um, very supportive of foster care and foster carers in its community and so we had classes and we had mentors to talk to people who were already involved in fostering to sort of you know communicate the pitfalls and, and let us know what kind of spiritual and emotional preparation we needed to do to kind of be ready. You know, both of us, um, did a lot of work around possible hurts in our own childhood to make sure that we weren't going to take that pain and transfer it to kids who were probably already traumatized. Um, so I would say it's an amazing gift. We've wanted children for a long time and haven't been able to have them. It's an amazing gift to have these children in our lives. We had the little girl first, and she's six, and we had her for a few months before her brothers moved in. And it was very, very different parenting one child than it is parenting three. I mean, that's obvious, but um, the way that it was different is that we just could go so much deeper emotionally with her, so much more quickly, because we had all of we had. She had our undivided attention, mm. and I think it's really fortunate that it ended up work, working out that way. Because um, it feels like she has some of the deepest wounds, um, and it might have been hard to address some of that pain with trying to get to know three kids at once. So we feel really blessed and lucky that it happened the way that it did. There are huge complications and huge differences that a company fostering as opposed to, you know, having bio kids. You have a government agency, the Department of Human Services, involved in your life on a daily basis. And we've been really, really fortunate. We've worked with wonderful people, but the DHS is is vastly under-resourced and overwhelmed with the need in the state of Oregon. And so, you know, our job is to be an advocate for these children. And we take that job really seriously. But it's not easy because everybody needs something all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. I, I, I think... You are a holy person because <laughs> anyone that can take in a needy child or an animal and love them, love them through the pain—that okay. th- those are the warriors in the world. And when you when you have three children as you do, they're in school presumably, yes, during the day,
3: right? Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm.
1: And so when you when you give them when you take them to school and you give them that opportunity to go to school then you have the time to scramble to get ready to pick them up but <laughs> right that's that's a whole lot right at once to get uh, you said the daughter came first and then the two brothers but that's yeah. still right now currently three children yeah Wow, so my, my my heart and my hat off to you. And, all, <laughs> Thank you. and one thing I think is helpful to share because there may be someone out there listening who yeah. has always wanted to consider fostering or adopting and they're scared or they're not sure how to take that step and be courageous. So what yeah. could someone do to learn more about that in their own opportunity in life? So... There
2: is lots of information on the DHS website about fostering. Um, you can Google Foster Care Oregon. Um, there's an organization called Embrace Oregon that works really hard to support the DHS and also support foster families. Um, that's another good, good organization to get in touch with if you're thinking about foster care or adoption. Uh, we took a class through Boys and Girls Aid and that's an organization that does private fostering and private adoption, as well as offering courses at no cost to individuals who are interested in foster care and adoption. So those are three resources that come to mind.
1: That's awesome. And, yeah. and when you are getting into your music life at this time, being a mom now, instant mom, when yeah. you are singing, do you notice the kids sort of like, I imagine it must be so fun to be in the house when you're singing. Like, <laughs>
2: yeah. I feel like um, our little girl connects with it the most. Um, <laughs> as I said, she's kind of the most emotional. Um, the boys, it's a little hard to tell if they, if they uh, you know, care. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, it's nice to be able to share that. Actually, that's not true. Um, our older son... Uh, Gabe is affected by autism, so he's semi-verbal. Um, but sometimes he'll um, pick up his little card that says sing, and we'll kind of sing together, and i he loves the ABCs. He's kind of obsessed with ABCs, so I'll, like, insert the ABCs into, you know, the melody of one of my songs, and he really likes that.
1: Mm. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. And, Catherine, what is your thought on the music industry today? I mean, you've been in it for a while, and it's changing often, I hear, from many's that, many that are in the world of music say it's a whole new world with SoundCloud and iTunes and the business of music. So what would you say about the music industry from your perspective?
2: Hmm. Well, um I existed in the major label world for a while, and that was really exciting, but also limiting in terms of, especially as a woman, they have preconceived notions about what the audience wants. Um, I found it difficult, um, I found it difficult to sort of like be clear about my intentions when I had all of these other people's intentions coming at me all the time. Um, So I've been much more comfortable in the independent world. It's a really exciting time in that there are lots of people who are really excited about independent music and independent artists. And there are lots of tiny labels all over the place um, that are just putting out music basically as a labor of love because it's it's not easy as an independent or small label to get your music out there. We signed to a label, Chris and I, Chris Janitas and I signed to a label called Fluff and Gravy that's based in Portland and they put out really wonderful folk artists, um, most of them based in Portland, like Anna Tivill and Jeffrey Martin and Nick Jaina. Um, but they, you know, it's like, love and elbow grease they're just like they're just working hard um so i feel pretty pretty disconnected from the mainstream music industry at this point i mean you know most artists now other than pop artists the way that they are going to become known or or make some money is to get their songs in film or TV or a commercial. Um, And that's a really cool opportunity for artists, but there are also, you know, that's not no strings attached either. Um, I, I, um, I had a lot of success um, with getting songs licensed in film and TV with my album, People in the Hole, Um, The album that I made after that was inspired by my experience at Occupy Wall Street, and on the cover of the album was someone being hauled off by the police. And, um, you know, my sync agent at the time really didn't feel comfortable sending that out, so um, I didn't have a lot of uh, success financially or commercially with that album. So, you know, you just choose your path and you choose your priorities
1: would you say that the path you're on now gives you full creative freedom definitely Oh, uh, that's worth it. Because it's funny when I was looking into, uh, or interesting when I was looking into Joni Mitchell's uh, interviews to learn more about some of her thoughts, she had said in one of these interviews that making music is great, but the business of music is terrible. Yeah. And as a female, more more so than men, there mm-hmm. is an exploitive, hard as nails, degrading, humiliating sort of approach to giving up that freedom for the you know the dollar. And so… Right. Reading that, I would think that the freedom is priceless, the creative freedom.
2: It is. I mean, you know, they're just trade-offs. I mean, I'm at the point in my career where I don't value the same things that I did when I was 25. So it's more important to me to have that creative freedom than it is to be on the road constantly or to be... Successful financially. Some people don't have that choice. Some people um, make a different choice, you know. And and you have to you have to sort of be true to yourself. Um, but I can say that I'm much happier treating at this point treating music as a purely creative outlet. Um, then I would be continuing to pursue it as a sort of business.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes you make a good point about the stage and age to which you enter the industry or in the industry and then what your needs are. Because I hear I hear that touring and the Every city, different town, different yeah. day is killer. It yeah. sounds as exhausting as being in people's homes and having to socialize all the time.
2: Yeah, I um, mean, it depends how you're doing it. If you have a tour bus and someone else is driving, it can be really fun, but it's also, you know, you're you're constantly prioritizing kind of like brief, ephemeral relationships. Um, and that's just not what I want to prioritize in my life right now. I'm, I'm interested in... Depthier, kind of longer term interactions. And it's not to say that you can't have depthy ephemeral interactions. It's just to say that I did that for a long time and I want to do something different now.
1: Yeah. So with that being said, can can I request one Elliot Smith song? Mm-hmm. Sure. Do you want to pick it or do you want me to?
2: Um, I think I should pick it because... Um, not all of them sound great solo.
1: <laughs> okay, all right.
2: In my opinion, when I play them, when he played them, you know, I'm sure they'd be fine. <laughs> um, I hope that's not too much of a disappointment.
1: No, not at, are you kidding? <laughs> I can't, I'm so excited to see what you pick.
2: Okay. Um, so one of my favorite songs that, that I performed with Galen Clark and Christian and William Athens is a song called Between the Bars. Mm. It goes like this. Drink up,
3: baby, stay up all night with things you could do. You won't, but you might. The potential you'll be that you'll never see. The promises you'll only make. Drink up with me now and forget pressure of these, do what I say, and I'll make you okay, and drive them away, the images stuck in your head. Kiss you again between the bars where i have seen you there with your hands in the air Waiting to be finally cold Drink up one more time and I'll make you mine Keep you apart Deep in my heart, separate from the rest, where I like you best, and keep in the things you forgot.
2: beautiful it's a great song
1: oh I love the way you do it I swear I think you do it better than he did (laughs) you do Elliot Smith better than he did how's that I mean really the pacing and the way you do it is just it it uh it moves me thank you for that I love that song when you do it oh thank you It must have been wild to have Daniel and Eric and their company dancing. That performance that we referred to at BodyVox, it was so many things happening that were just sensory. Like, Mm. to watch all those male bodies dancing while you were singing Elliot Smith was just a great concept. Mm, Yeah. And I heard there there was family of his that I heard came to the show. That must have been intense.
2: It was. His... um father and i believe his stepmother were able to come to the show and they had a a common friend um of of Eric and Daniel um i met Elliot's father and he was very complimentary he he actually really really enjoyed that song in particular mm. um and that was just such an honor and a privilege
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, reading about Elliot's journey, it sounded like getting to Portland, where his father was, was living then and still is, was sort of a savior in his journey. Um, So, Catherine, I am so psyched. I'm going to see you. You're at the Alberta pub. Oh, yeah. Next Thursday, is it? Yeah, it's Thursday next week. I cannot wait.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. So we're going to play all of the Elliot Smith material.
1: So you're playing Elliot Smith Um, for anyone in Portland or anywhere near Portland, you want to <laughs> come for the show. Um, it's the Alberta pub.
2: The Alberta street pub.
1: The Alberta street pub. Right. And um, also just to let people know that you're, the spelling of your name is C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, last name is F-E-E-N-Y, and where do you show up in social media if people want to follow you?
2: Um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm probably most active on Facebook, but I'm on three of
1: those. Is Facebook your personal favorite?
2: um sometimes
1: yeah it depends right
2: yeah it depends on the day how many sponsored messages you get in one day or you know posts (laughs) instagram is really cool because it's just you know a totally it can be just a completely visual experience which is kind of fun
1: yeah, that's my favorite now. We're at yeah. Feel Good Naked Radio on Instagram, and it's so much more, it feels more arid to me and, and less uh, manipulated. I mm-hmm. like the visual parts uh, especially. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you. You are an inspiration to me. I cannot wait to see you next week live. And you are, for me, the tagline of my show is that you complete you. And. <laughs> You're a beautiful example of that, Catherine Feeney. Thank you so much. Thank
2: you, Laura. Thanks so much for having me, and thanks for pushing me to play. I was I was feeling a little wimpy, but uh,
1: I think it was fun. Oh, it was awesome. You did it. <laughs> thanks for that. And I'll, yeah, uh, I'll see you next Thursday. Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. You too. Bye.
0: Bye. Thank you for listening to Feel Good Naked Radio with Laura Redmond. Please join us live again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be you and feel great in your own skin.